You're listening to Ari Snapshots, where each fortnight we chat about the science behind the weeds and decode some of the trickier concepts which crop up. For the first Ari Snapshots podcast of 2020, we're chatting with Associate Professor Ken Flower about a recent paper he co-authored with Ari Director Hugh Becky and Ari's agronomy lead, Mike Ashworth. With glyphosate currently under intense scrutiny worldwide from an environmental and health perspective, the authors of the paper, Farming Without Glyphosate, contemplate possible scenarios of farming without our most important and popular herbicide. So we're going to get into it, but firstly, Ken, how are you going? Uh, very good, thanks, Jess. Thanks for being our first guest for 2020. Now, let's get into the details which prompted this paper. Can you give us a bit of detail around why you wrote this one? As you mentioned, there's been a significant increase in the uh, interest in glyphosate and uh, certainly recently uh, some papers that uh, mention the human health concerns and uh, so we decided we had to look at it. So And before sort of going on, yes, there are those health concerns, but I should point out that the pesticide regulators are certainly happy with the safety aspect of glyphosate if it's used according to the label. So uh, as far as the regulators go, there's no issues with glyphosate if it's used according to the label. So with that sort of background, yes, there has been increased interest and public concern about glyphosate. So that's really what prompted it, that if public pressure became so large that glyphosate was restricted, we need to look at different scenarios. Yeah, it's really good to be on the front foot with these things. Now, this paper evaluated the usage of glyphosate from 1974 to 2014. How has glyphosate usage changed over time, Ken? So, as we know, glyphosate's used in many crops and also non-crop areas, uh, although The greatest use is obviously in cropland, and I think up to 90% is used uh, in crops. And uh, initially, glyphosate was used essentially as broad spectrum, sort of broad uh, spectrum weed control, and uh, as a sort of chemical burn down. It's a systemic chemical, and so it was very effective. And so generally, it was used in sort of non-crop areas for fallow weed control or for uh, weed control before seeding. And really, glyphosate's one of the key sort of chemicals, along with paraquat, which allowed the expansion of no-till, because obviously with uh, a tillage-based system, a lot of the tillage is used for weed control, as well as obviously loosening the soil and preparing a seedbed. But uh, weed control is one of the sort of key uh, uses of glyphosate before seeding. So with the advent of glyphosate, it's sort of It was like a chemical plough, as it were, and so then farmers didn't have to actually use mechanical tillage. They could use glyphosate and then seed directly uh, into the soil, and that means that they could maintain residue on the soil surface. So that was one of the sort of key early areas. And then subsequent to that, there's been quite significant expansion with the uptake of no-till. So glyphosate and paraquat, those knockdowns, allowed no-till to really expand and the main reason for no-till expanding was due to a lot of the erosion that occurred on the south coast so it was really to control erosion and also obviously to we live in a very dry environment so it was to conserve soil water and then on top of that it it allowed farmers to seed much earlier than normal and therefore increased yield so it was really a win-win situation and so glyphosate use uh, would have expanded that's here in WA. 
but certainly worldwide, the next sort of thing that happened was the advent of uh, glyphosate-resistant crops. And it was a sort of ideal scenario with glyphosate-resistant crops alongside no-till because you can imagine a situation where a farmer has some weeds, uh, he wants to maintain his crop residue, he can then seed his glyphosate-resistant crops into a field that's got residue, there may be some weeds, uh, the crop germinates, he can then spray glyphosate over that, uh, kill the weeds and maintain obviously very good weed control, but maintain, very importantly, the stubble on the soil surface. So uh, this has really promoted the rapid expansion of the use of glyphosate, and so its use really has changed recently with the advent of glyphosate-resistant crops. Yeah, definitely. And it certainly has been a really important herbicide over all those years. But with certain countries either banning or looking at banning glyphosate, the paper does look at the possibility of farming without glyphosate. So how did you consider this possibility in the paper, Ken? Obviously, with the, the sort of potential threat uh, with a restricted or even banning of glyphosate, uh, a lot of people, not just obviously us, but uh, people around the world are certainly uh, looking at different possibilities of farming without glyphosate. And the GRDC organised a workshop in Sydney at the end of the last year just to consider different scenarios. And I think in that workshop, they looked at a number of scenarios, including a situation with no sort of no glyphosate, no knockdowns before seeding. They looked at other options with no pre-emergent herbicides, no in-crop herbicides, and then herbicides are also used just before harvest, so pre-harvest herbicides. And then finally, they considered no herbicides at all, farming without any herbicides. Now, that scenario is not really likely. The most likely scenario, if it was to eventuate, would be no or reduced knockdowns and maybe no pre-harvest herbicides. So the paper really focused on those sort of two two issues, um, being no knockdowns and no pre-harvest herbicides. Okay. And what did you find when you ran the RIM models to evaluate uh, what it would be like if glyphosate wasn't available? Uh, yes. Actually, most of the information in the paper wasn't uh, derived from the, the RIM model. The RIM model was just to uh, have a look to see if farming without glyphosate could be uh, sort of uh, profitable and, and probably more accurately looking at uh, what the weed numbers were. And certainly without glyphosate, there would be a slight increase uh, in the weed seed bank. Uh, that was uh, one of the things. But really, we looked at situations with using, looking at alternatives to glyphosate or with no glyphosate. Firstly, looking at before seeding. Now, one of the things that first comes to mind obviously is going back to a tillage situation but we would uh, we really considered the different alternatives it had to be within a no-till scenario a no-till scenario with stubble retention because that's a key factor in our farming system and we don't want to go to back to wholesale tillage so any sort of alternatives to glyphosate have to be considered with the, in that sort of scenario with no-till and stubble retention so one of the options is clearly strategic tillage. So going back to something like, um, you know, the moldboard plough, and some farmers are using that. But 
uh, obviously in a situation where you'd be applying it once every five to ten years. So it is essentially to reset that sort of weed clock, as it were, bury the, the weed seed bank at depth where it can't germinate, and then uh, start off again. So that could be used strategically. And interestingly, there's a recent paper that's just come out looking at the effect of strategic tillage, very occasional tillage, like the mulberry ploughing once every five to ten years. And uh, essentially this review paper um, concluded that in general that very occasional tillage did not reduce soil organic carbon and so actually had limited sort of negative impact. We're not going back with our no-till, the benefits of no-till by just uh, ploughing once, you know, every five to ten years. Once every five to ten years sort of maintains, you can still maintain soil organic carbon uh, and so on. So it's not a negative thing to do it once in a while, particularly if it's going to increase production. Well, that's good news. And what other alternatives are there to glyphosate for broadacre croppers that you looked at in this paper, Ken? So certainly one of the other options is alternative herbicides. So uh, there could be mixes with other herbicides. There's another knockdown, paraquat and diquat. One of the issues is it is more toxic than glyphosate. Uh, it's also not systemic, so mixes of other herbicides that uh, could possibly be used. So that's uh, one other possibility. The other option that certainly I think ha has some merit is the use of sort of couched it in broad terms, uh, precision ag, precision agriculture. So identifying where the weed patches are uh, beforehand and then, you know, uh, specifically targeting those areas with perhaps more expensive herbicides. So herbicides that farmers maybe wouldn't consider on a broad acre, broad spectrum, broad acre spraying, they could spot spray if they knew where those weeds were. And that's where potentially precision ag, you know, might be more useful. Ken, were there any other takeaways that you'd like to leave the audience with on this paper? Uh, yeah, I, th I think we also had a look at in-crop as well. And so uh, one of the takeaways is... You know, in a scenario with no knockdown of glyphosate, there'd be increased reliance on the pre-emergent herbicides and therefore increased selection pressure. So uh, there's even more importance in terms of not only developing new pre-emergent herbicides, but maintaining their efficacy. So making sure that we rotate with crops and also rotate our herbicides. There may be other options with crop topping, with paraquat, diquat, to control any escapes from those pre-emergent herbicides. And then the whole sort of rotation scenario, so potentially more hay cutting, but again that depends on the markets as well and the sort of availability of, of a market for the hay. Increased use of pastures in our cropping system and we need to make sure that in any pasture phase that the weed control is actually going to be beneficial to the next cropping uh, phase. And I believe there's a GRDC project at the moment specifically looking at weed control and pastures. I think clearly the harvest weed seed control is going to be, it's very important and effective as it is, but that's also going to be a very key aspect. There are two more and they're related to cultural controls and that's making better use of crop competition. So doing the research to make sure that we can uh, effectively make our crops as competitive as possible. 
So you can imagine a scenario. Uh, this is also where precision ag, you know, can come in. If we can map where the weeds are, potentially we could, uh, for example, up the seeding rate very, very high, just in specific areas where those weeds are to outcompete the weeds. It could be seeding rates that um, you wouldn't want to plant your whole field to because you might get a reduction in yield. But we could certainly do that in a, in sort of in patches if we've identified where those weed patches are. So uh, I think precision ag and combined with uh, some of the cultural practices would be very useful. And then finally, there's new uh, research on alternatives to herbicides themselves, so mechanical weed control. People are working on steam and microwaving and so on, but, uh, you know, possibly uh, sort of inter-row, this is in-crop, inter-row mechanical uh, weed control. I like the idea of, uh, I think it, it, it maybe originally comes from Canada, what they call rod weeding, where you can imagine where you've got some shanks um, going inter-row with uh, either so, sort of a knife or a rod, which is cutting just underneath the surface, so just cutting the, the roots off from the weeds and dislodging those weeds, but still maintaining the stubble on the soil surface. So sort of innovative mechanical weed control that doesn't necessarily mean actually incorporating all your residue can maintain the residue. So I think we need to get more innovative in that sort of area. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much for giving such a great overview on the paper. And yeah, there is a lot of options there. A really good paper to read if you're interested in this space. So I'll provide the link with the podcast and an RE Insight will be coming out on this paper in the near future too. But thank you so much, Ken. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. <laughs>